Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We really do. Thanks a lot. Hope you're having a good day. Here's what we're going to talk about. We have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Not much change uh, in February from January, but we'll break down the numbers with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. We're also going to talk trade today with Greg Dowd, our former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator, for the U.S. Trade Representative's office. He was very much involved in working on the Phase 1 trade deal with China. We'll get his thoughts on that and what he sees ahead for trade with China and a look at trade overall as he looks at uh, some of the deals that he worked on and some of the potential deals that this new administration may work on. And all that is coming up on today's program. But first, we started off talking it over with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, how are you? Oh, good, Mike. Glad to be here. Lots going on. I wanted to get an update from you. You were telling us about a, a case in, in your state of Nebraska between the state and an ethanol plant. What's the latest on that? Yeah, Mike, uh, you know, we talked about this recently. Uh, we have an ethanol plant in Mead, Nebraska, which is basically, uh, it's been around since about 2004, 2005. It was originally designed as like a, as a closed-loop system where, um, this plant would use manure from a local feedlot uh, right next door to produce ethanol with no fossil fuels. Uh, it was really a big deal. It got a lot of international attention uh, for, for what it was doing. It was very unique. Well, uh, it's come across uh, some hard times here, a number of environmental uh, violations in the state. Uh, the state had been after this plant to clean up, um, you know, piles of wet distillers, grains, and, and wastewater, uh, it's been a real disaster, honestly. Um, and finally, yesterday, the state of Nebraska sued uh, this company in Mead, Nebraska, uh, trying to get them to follow uh, the steps that they've been ordered to take to clean things up. It's it's really a sad situation. Um, you know, there was a press conference yesterday, the governor of Nebraska, talking about it, saying that this is uh, not indicative of the rest of the industry here in the state. Um, in fact, it's it's highly unusual plant. In that it takes uh, waste waste seed from uh, from companies, um, you know, it's waste with pesticides, and it's just really caused a mess. And now we're going to see where uh, this might go. Whether a court's going to actually force this force this plant to close, or whether it can keep things going. Again, as you said, and we've talked about this before, this case is this situation is really an outlier. It's not indicative in, in no way in uh, no way an example of what's going on does not reflect on the rest of the ethanol industry it's just a an individual situation here it really is and uh you know it like i said back in 2004 it was really uh it was really the centerpiece of, of the of the move toward building out the ethanol industry and the future of the ethanol industry uh, there was a lot of hope that this this model uh, could work, and somewhere along the way, ownership changed, and uh, it's really, to say the least, the ownership, the the management of that plant now has really, uh, really dropped the ball. Meanwhile, uh, as we get ready for that Supreme Court uh, hearing of the small refinery exemption case, uh, the briefs are starting to be filed. 
Yeah, Mike, we've got uh, we've got a number of small refinery uh, interests. We've got some states involved, a lot of oil producing states, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. So far, as you know, the the Biden administration has sided with uh, the Tenth Circuit ruling that happened in January of 2020. Um, I don't expect that we're going to see a brief from the Biden administration that might come, but uh, at this point, it's really the refiners and the states that they represent. Um, going to battle here and there's been a lot of interesting arguments made so far in these briefs i think a lot of the a lot of it's centered on the idea that uh without small refinery exemptions uh small refineries may cease to exist and there are a lot of states that are concerned about their economies you know depending on what the supreme court decides to do in this case it uh, it's going to have uh, wide-reaching and long-lasting effects yeah we'll be watching that closely meanwhile Secretary Vilsack uh, starting to speak to farmers through virtual platforms uh, later this week, Commodity Classic. Uh, already yeah. this week, the National Farmers Union, and he again has uh, uh, reinforced and uh, let everyone know of his support for renewable fuels and the RFS. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Vilsack's been a, a, a you know he's been right out front all the way back in the early days of the Obama administration. Uh, you know about the importance of the RFS, and I and I know that the Secretary of Ag doesn't have a lot of pull on that front, although he does have a big voice. And I think, uh, you know, we're starting to see some signs that uh, things are going to be quite a bit different under this administration, uh, as well as when it comes to climate policy. I think, you know, the ideas aren't necessarily new, but Bill Sack was also making a pitch for, uh, you know, for farmers making making money for, through carbon sequestration. Uh, using farm waste to create new products, um, you know, and, and, on, and on and on. I do think that um, we're going to see a lot of new offers come out for farmers in the, on this front. Uh, we'll see whether the whether Congress can get around to providing more funds or whatever it's going to take to, uh, to make a lot of those things happen. Todd, I think that's going to be a huge issue the next few years yeah. because we hear so much about these climate policies and carbon. Uh, I think carbon management is going to become something we talk more and more about and, and those in agriculture right. will look at more closely at, at the opportunities, hopefully, that will be there for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I do think that there are a lot of opportunities. Farmers have been doing a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, on the ground for many, many years. You know, some of those best environmentalists are farmers. And I, and I think uh, there's a chance here to, uh, to at least see some payout for all the work that, that the agriculture industry has put in. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of room to expand. You know, there, it's not perfect yet, but there's a lot of opportunity. And I, and I think uh, we're going to see a lot more on the conservation side of things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time for agriculture, and there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah, hopefully it's going to go better this time than it, than it did several years ago. Uh, we remember cap and trade and all that. Hopefully, lessons have been learned, and it'll be a much better, uh, uh, a much better system, and there'll be better opportunities ahead. Absolutely, and you're right. I mean, I think you know we need to take little bites at a time. You know, I think I think we need to go where farmers have have already had lots of successes and and start growing on those current successes. I know that you're right. Cap and trade was a was a real heated issue and and uh i think you know we have a we have a chance here to to make new roads along the way all right todd always good to talk with you thanks a lot all right thank you mike take care dtn reporter 
Todd Neely. Well, we have the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We're looking at the month of February. The numbers not changed a whole lot from January. We'll break down the numbers and take a look at some of the uh, key questions that were asked in this uh, latest survey. We'll talk with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer coming up next. Then later in the program, we're going to talk trade with someone who's been at the negotiating table, former Chief U.S. Ag Negotiator with the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, Greg Dowd. We'll find out what he's doing these days, his new job, and get his thoughts on where we're at with trade with China and some other key markets as well. All that coming up. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538. Immediately, that's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Each month, we check in with Michael Langmeyer, Purdue Ag Economist, for the latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. He joins us now with a look at the February numbers. Michael, good to talk with you again. Doesn't look like there's too much change from January. Yes, the index has been very, very constant since approximately uh, November. Uh, The index was 183 in October, which was uh, was a high-level mark. Uh, and then it declined to 167 in November and has and is, is been very close to that 167 number uh, all the way to February. The February index, uh, you know, is, is, is uh, 165. One thing that has changed in the last few months, and, we, and we've talked about this before, is the fact that the index of current conditions is much higher now than the index of future expectations. And when you look at some of the questions related to the index of current conditions, it's pretty obviously to see what's on people's minds. Uh, one of the questions we ask related to current conditions is, do you think financial performance this year is going to be better than last year? And we know that 2020 was a pretty good income year for a lot of farmers. Uh, 37% think that 2021 is going to be even better uh, than 2020. And so that's certainly optimism uh, when you're looking at the next 12 months. Uh, another question that, that's uh, really quite remarkable and how this has changed over the last six months or so is land values over the next 12 months. Uh, you know, historically, in the life of the survey, we started the survey in late 2015, uh, less than 30%, usually it was less than 20%, thought land values were going to go up in the next 12 months. The last three months, that's been over a third. Uh, and in fact, in February, over 50% of the, uh, the, the farmers that responded to our survey uh, indicated they, th- they thought land values were going to go up uh, in the next 12 months, and so certainly a, a very bullish uh, short term. Yeah, when I saw that the numbers hadn't changed much, I was a little surprised because the market rally has continued, and I thought we would see those numbers higher. But as you point out, they're reflected within the report, aren't they? Yes, uh, and, and, and and let me talk a little bit about the index of future expectations. Uh, the reason why that's declined uh, declined quite a bit since October. Is, is, is people are a little worried about trade long-term. Uh, in fact, when we ask them questions related to trade, they're more negative towards uh, you know, where trade is going uh, with, with the U.S. and other countries, uh, particularly China, than they were in October. Uh, so ever since the election, they've, they've been a little bit more skittish with regard to trade uh, in the future in particular, and they're also been worried about things like environmental regulations and tax policy uh, under the new administration. So I think for, there's a lot of reasons why the index of future expectations, even though it's not low, uh, it's still quite a bit lower than the index of current conditions. Yeah, kind of waiting to see how some of those issues play out. We're talking with Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest results of the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. All right, let's uh, let's 
take a look at some of the other things that you ask farmers this time. And um, one of those you've been asking about uh, their thoughts on purchases of farm equipment. That's kind of, to me, a reflection of how strongly they feel about the ag economy and where it's going. What did they say this time? The Farm, farm Capital Investment Index, which, which tracks that, uh, was 93 in January, 93 in December, which was an all-time high for that index. Uh, but it dropped to 88 in February, but 88 is still relatively strong. Uh, and that's not real surprising, given, again, that 2020 was a pretty strong income year, and 2021 looks like it might be uh, a strong income year. Uh, and, and so it's not, it, it's not surprising to see that Farm Capital Investment Index uh, you know, be fairly high. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty, uh, more than there typically is, a lot of uncertainty with where prices are going to go uh, into the fall. Uh, we don't know how big this crop is going to be, you know, for corn and soybeans specifically. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a wide band around uh, possible crop and soybean prices, uh, you know, for the fall uh, in, into into the winter of 2022. And so I think until some of that un- uncertainty is resolved, uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to see people a little less optimistic than you would uh, you would expect, uh, given the fact that we have two strong income years in a row here. Uh, but if that uncertainty gets resolved, I, I think we'll see more people uh, indicate uh, that they plan on purchasing machinery uh, late 2021. Also, an interesting question on their on farmers' views on plant-based alternatives uh, to animal protein. These plant-based meat products that are coming on the market. What do they say? Yeah, this is a new question. We asked a couple of, a couple questions related to plant based on alternatives, and we really had no idea uh, you know, how this group was going to respond to that. And so, uh, let me be pretty specific on how we asked this question. Uh, we asked new new plant based alternatives to animal protein have emerged in recent years. Considering the overall market for animal and plant based protein, what do you expect the market share uh, to be? Uh, and uh, less than, less than uh, or, or 31% indicated that less than 1%, uh, but 55% uh, said between 1% and 10%. And you start getting up to that 5%, 10% level, you're talking about a game changer. You're talking about something that would have, would have ripples uh, throughout production agriculture. And so that was quite interesting. It's obviously they're pretty concerned, uh, concerned about how, this, how that's going to play out. Uh, we had a follow-up question. Uh, you know, if there was plant-based alternatives uh, and the market share was 25%, so looking ahead a ways, uh, just assuming that the market share was 25%, that's pretty high. Uh, we're not saying it's necessarily going to go there, but assuming, assuming that it was, uh, well, how would that impact uh, net farm income? And a full 60% said it would be, uh, it would be negative to, to net farm income. And so, and so again, you know, quite a bit of concern there uh, about how, the, how, how this uh, – plant-based alternative is going to play out. Yeah, that's interesting, and I'm glad you asked the question because uh, we're starting to hear more about these products, and obviously it's starting to show up on producers' uh, radar screens. Yeah, and it really, it, it really is going to impact uh, you know, different producers uh, differently, of course. I mean, you've uh, you obviously got the direct impact on, on animal agriculture, and I would, I would guess in our survey that a third of the producers at least have at least some livestock, uh, so we got to remember that when 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 we're uh, when we're talking about these type of questions. But it's also it creates some uncertainty for crop producers because yeah, as we know, uh, you know, corn a lot of our corn is used uh, for animal agriculture in the United States and around the world, and the same with soybean meal. And so it certainly had have ripples in in, in multiple markets uh, if 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 uh, 
these these alternative meat-based products became a, a fairly significant percentage of of the uh, of, of the market. Do you come up with a new question like that each month? Uh, not always, but we typically try to. Uh, one of the questions that we ask, we ask periodically, this is about once a year, we ask this question related to farm growth. Uh, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that, that particular question. It always surprises me how divergent uh, the expectations are with respect to farm growth. A full 50% of the, of the respondents, and these are full-time farms, all of these people that, uh, that we survey are full-time farms, a full 50% indicated they either had no plans to grow or plans to reduce their size in the next five years. We had 9%, or about 1 out of 10, that were going to grow over 10%, which is, would be a phenomenal growth rate. And so wide divergence in, in, in farm growth. And I really point to two things that's going on in production agriculture that helps explain that. One of them, obviously, there's some farms that are adding family members. Uh, you know, we have, I, I talk to students all the time here at Purdue, and I know this is the case all land-grant universities. Their students are always going back to, to their family farm. Obviously, they need to grow uh, in most cases if, if someone's coming back to the farm. And so that's no big surprise. I think the other thing that's going on in, in agriculture is there's just tremendous difference in profitability among farms. Uh, and quite frankly, some farms uh, do not generate enough cash flow, net cash flow, uh, that they they could expand. Uh, they don't have enough cash flow to to have new investments in, in equipment, new investments in, in, in grain bins, new new investments in land, and so uh, they find it very difficult to grow. And so I think there's a couple things going on there uh, that helps explain that wide divergence in farm growth. Yep, always interesting, and we'll look forward to talking with you next month. Start getting closer to spring planting time, and. Uh, Weather conditions and uh, planting conditions will start affecting some of these uh, survey results, I would think. Yeah, we very well may ask a question or two related to acreage, and so we'll see how those come out. Yeah, look forward to that. All right, Michael, we'll talk to you again next month. Yep, look forward to it. Thank you, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer with the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. All right, up next... Always interesting to talk with not just trade issues, but someone who's been at the negotiating table for trade deals. And that's our next guest, Greg Dowd, a former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. Ambassador Dowd was uh, involved in these trade negotiations with China and with others. We'll find out what he's doing now and his thoughts on how China has been uh, living up to the uh, phase one trade deal where have they uh, maybe fallen a little short in his mind and what does he see ahead for trade with china some things to be watching for that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa Cenex premium diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The tone for the grain and oilseed sector has been set this month. This morning, we are seeing corn trade on either side of unchanged with higher futures in soybeans and wheat contracts. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading three quarters of a cent higher at 538 and three quarters. The July contract up a fraction at 527 and a fraction. For soybeans, the May contract up seven and three quarters at 1399. The July contract up four and three quarters at 13.85 and three quarters for the wheats. Chicago wheat march up 13 and a half cent at 6.63 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat march up six and a fraction at 6.20 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat march down two and three quarters at 6.28 and a fraction. The May contract up nine and three quarters at 6.43 and a fraction. Cattle futures have been and continue to be in trouble as funds liquidate. Feedlots may have held out too long, anticipating higher prices and may have to settle for no better than steady money after spending more money on high price feed. In cash cattle country, asking prices in the south are surfacing at $116 per hundredweight. While the north has not yet shared their asking prices, hogs remain in a more bullish posture with the uptrend intact and traders continuing their interest in buying breaks. April live cattle trading 37 cents higher at 119.35. The June contract down 17 at 117.32. For feeders, the March contract down 82 at 136.37. The April contract down 92 at 140.20. For lean hogs, the April contract trading $1.98 lower at 185.82. The May contract down $1.70 at 87.87. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 66 points, the NASDAQ composite down 31, the S&P 500 down 3. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, we talk a lot about trade, and who better to talk trade with than someone who's been at the trade negotiating table, and that's our next guest, Greg Dowd, former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator for the U.S. Trade Representative, and uh, he joins us now. Greg, good to talk with you. How are you? It's fine. How are you this morning? Very good. Tell us about your uh, your new position. You're with Aimpoint Research. Tell us about that. Well, this is a, a really interesting group, uh, Mike. The, these guys are global strategic intelligence. Uh, they are former military guys, West Point guys, and uh, they uh, they really understand the importance of, of food and agriculture to our nation and national security. So they, they uh, look at it from a military standpoint of uh, market research and data and uh, uh what they're doing on the consulting side. They also do a thing called war gaming, which is situational where they, you know, put everybody in a room and go through scenarios and situations for a couple of days and really walk, help companies and, and groups, uh, you know, walk through different things like COVID and, and what you would learn you know, through the process. And after uh, it's a really interesting group, uh, really taking a lot of what I learned in my last job and applying it to uh, what we're doing now in the private sector. Very good. We're talking with Greg Dowd, who had just wrapped up his time as uh, chief ag negotiator and moved on to his new position he just described at Aimpoint Research. All right, Greg, uh, you were there. You were in on the negotiations for the phase one trade deal with China. Uh, what's your assessment of where that stands now with all the buying China has done as of late? And, and what do you see ahead as far as uh, trade with China? Well, I think what I see going forward is a lot more volatility i think i think uh you know it's interesting <laughs> i have to tell you a year ago i'm reminded of all the criticism we got that all oh, none of this was going to amount to anything and and we knew it would and and uh, we negotiated some 57 different structural changes in our trading relationship with china and agriculture it was 33 negotiating sessions over the course of a year so we met almost once a week for a year uh hundreds and hundreds of hours to, to sort these things out. And as of the, uh, the 57 things that we got in the agreement, they've fixed, uh, Mike, about, I would say 52 or 53 of them are done. And so the, the result of this is before we started the negotiation, we had about 1,500 facilities in the U.S. eligible to export our ag products to China. And I'm talking about beef processing facilities, pet food facilities, infant formula facilities, so 1,500 of those. Today, we're well over 4,000 facilities in the U.S. that are eligible to export their products to China. And I think that really uh, speaks to where this relationship is headed. And, and we've seen it in the major commodities. But I think you're also going to see it over time in things like dairy and pet food and, and all kinds of different things that we're going to really be able to sell to China in agriculture for the first time. Greg, there's been this debate whether or not China has been buying because of the phase one trade deal or they're just buying because they needed uh, these products and would have bought them anyway. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, as I said, we would have never been able to, the scope of what we've been able to do here would have never happened without the negotiation and changing uh, the, the relationship between between our two countries when it comes to the regulatory framework. So many of these hours we spent were helping China and helping, for that matter, helping us understand how to get our two regulatory systems to talk to each other. 
And it, it was hard. It was difficult. The language barrier alone was really, really difficult when we got in a room together and we were really trying to move forward and realizing that we were talking past each other. And, and so it took hours and hours and hours to finally get down to what the issue was. And sometimes it, late into the night, we would hit upon what it was. And then we go, well, oh, this is easy to fix. Here's the answer. And they were like, oh, okay, well, in that case, <laughs> we can do this. And so it just took time and, and helping to understand each other. So I think going forward, what we have is not only these structural changes that we've fixed, over 50 of them, but we also have a relationship now at USTR, even at USDA, where if an issue comes up, we can get on the phone and talk about it now, and we have that rapport and relationship really for the first time ever. So, you know, when we were uh, the vice minister of agriculture in China, uh, who's now been promoted up, uh, up and out, um, when we were signing some of the side agreements in the Red Room a little over a year ago, he looked over at me and he said, you know, Greg, China's never done like done anything like this before with anybody. And I said, Vice Minister, neither have we. Hmm. Wow. So where do we go from here? We wait for the confirmation of Catherine Tai to be the next U.S. trade representative. What do you know about her, and what are you picking up on things that you're seeing and hearing from the new Biden administration about their approach to trade with China? Well, I think Catherine is, is a really good choice here when it comes to China because she was an enforcement attorney at USTR on China uh, you know, several years ago. She speaks Mandarin. Uh, she understands the issues with China very, very well. And so I think you're going to have a very, very good understanding there. You know, um, part of this uh, process, you know, it isn't just political folks. You've got some of the best career folks in the world at USTR and, and uh, you know, just a great team that I worked with. And, and uh, Sharon Bomer was, you know, instrumental in this process as well in helping me. We have a new uh, uh Deputy Assistant USTR for Agriculture, Dr. Julie Callahan. Uh, Julie uh, lived in China for a while. She speaks Mandarin and understands these regulatory issues extremely well. She used to work at the FDA. So we have a great team there on, on the, now with, with Catherine and also on the career side that uh, will be able to, you know, again, we have the relationship now that we've never had before to be able to work on this and go forward. But there's a couple points, Mike, I would make. Number one, you're going to have to be price competitive. You know, if, if we have a drought or something and our prices aren't competitive with what's going on in the world marketplace, that's going to be a problem for us. The other side of this is, is I think, you know, we've, we've seen a huge increase in the last six months. We've, we've really run our, our uh, export uh, terminals at almost max capacity here. We couldn't have squeezed in too many more boats, I think, if we'd have had tons. And, and our window isn't going to change, Mike. We've got a really think about, well, how are we going to increase our exports in the, in the window that we have with the capacity that we have? We may begin to have to have some conversations here about our capacity and how to expand that going forward. Interesting. All right. Um, did you leave any things pending on the table that this new group might take up as far as some trade deals you were working on that, that didn't get done? Well, you know, we uh, the COVID thing really hung us up here, and we couldn't get on the road here for the last nine months or so of this. I will say that one of the things that we made good progress on was Indonesia. Uh, we had a very good relationship there with their trade minister and resolved some things out in the Pacific Northwest and fruits and vegetables that had been a problem for a long time. 
Um, we uh, were very disappointed in how things ended up with Brazil and ethanol. Uh, that, that left a pretty bitter taste in my mouth. I'm going to be honest with you after the fact here, Mike. And then the one thing that I really wanted to work on, but it just it got us hung up on, on uh, the situation between the U.K. and the EU was I wanted to work on the U.K. negotiations, but it took them so long to do what they were doing with the EU that um, – we, we just uh, we, we never got there, and, and frankly, uh, that's really disappointing that uh, we, we didn't get a chance and a stab at that. And that UK deal is still something that uh, is out there that's got to be uh, hopefully can we can continue to work on. And what are your thoughts on how USMCA is progressing? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, for most of agriculture, the issues were resolved and have been resolved for a long time. Um, I think the one thing that we knew was going to be a challenge with Canada and dairy. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Secretary Vilsack, from his experience, knows full well, you know, that was, uh, that was a really, really difficult and complicated negotiation with Canada on dairy. Um, uh, and I think they're going to continue to be a challenge. They just are. They're they're just really, really ornery, Mike, and we all know that. And we're going to have to continue to, you know, uh, pay attention to that. You know, one thing that we've often been reminded of: uh, trade deals aren't the end. Uh, they're constantly uh, something in in motion, right? Fluid situations and issues come up that have to be addressed. Well. Uh, Always, and I think uh, to that regard, once we do the deal, you know, everybody just assumes, like in the case of TPP, well, it's done, it's going to happen. Well, there's one other step here, too, and that is you have to get it through Congress. <laughs> and I think yeah. people, I hope mm-hmm. you've really got to understand and appreciate how hard that was with USMCA, all the effort that it took to get that done. I think, I hope people also appreciate one of the great trade deals ever done of all time in agriculture, in my opinion, is the deal that we did with Japan and getting what we did with Japan and agriculture without requiring Congress. Could you imagine if we didn't need Congress to ratify that thing, we'd still be waiting on it a year later. Yeah. Yeah. We know how tough that is to get things through there, through Congress, more and more all the time. And yeah, that U.S.-Japan deal really stands out as a, really a, a a crown jewel the way it has been performing greg it's been interesting always fascinating to talk with you and 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 hear kind of the backstory the things we don't always get to hear about the, what goes on in the negotiating room at the negotiating table glad you've got a great new spot there with aimpoint uh, research we wish you the best and we'll check in with you from time to time as uh, different things pop up in the news on these trade issues thank you very much always a pleasure thank you take care my friend greg dowd former u.s Chief Ag Negotiator now with Aimpoint Research. Yeah, very interesting. He was in the room. He was at the table on those uh, deals and those uh, negotiations with China on the Phase 1 trade deal. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines to keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and, if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking to Mark Hansen, Commodity Manager for CHS Hedging, about the long-term outlook for hog markets. Mark, last year we know was a very turbulent year for hog markets. What are you expecting here in 2021? Well, Mike, it does appear that uh, the volatility is going to continue well into 2021. Probably not quite as dynamic as what we saw back in uh, 2020, but uh, volatile nonetheless. Uh, ahead of us, uh, there's definitely a tug of war going on of expectations of uh, demand and obviously the higher uh, uh, input costs and the effects of both to the production. Right now, the USDA is expecting about a 1% increase in 2021. So really the demand has to stay strong uh, throughout this next year. And the two key things to watch, I think is gonna be the Chinese demand, which has been re- robust, and this needs to continue to be, be robust in uh, 2021, but also domestic. Uh, what's gonna happen after post COVID? And uh, you know, there's certainly some expectations of strong demand uh, domestically, 
but uh, we still don't know how, how strong that demand will be after things uh, reopen. Let's talk about input costs. What impact do you think increased grain prices and soybean crush levels will have on overall pork production profitability this year? Well, right now, it, it uh, hogs have really kept up with the uh, uh, with the higher input costs. Uh, kind of a rule of thumb is each dollar hundred weight of uh, hog uh, prices equates to roughly about two dollars a head profitability. That's Mark Hansen, Commodity Manager for CHS Hedging. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we know spring is often one of the wettest times of the year, and you can get changing conditions. You're dealing with melting snow, mud, rainy weather. And when it comes to farming, it's also one of the most important times, obviously. Equipment takes to the field after the long winter break and it can face all those different conditions and there can be some challenges because a little water while it is very helpful in many cases you can't say the same about your equipment it's not always helpful there especially with the fuel let's talk with chad christensen premium diesel expert for Cenex, the energy brand for chs chad good to talk with you what sort of conditions are farming farmers looking at as they hit the field this spring that can really be a challenge for their equipment well, if we do see that that soggy and wet spring, it can mean long hours, and not only for the farmers planting, but their their equipment also, and 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 even their fuel included into that. And in this ch- challenging environment with uh, added stress on machinery and, and those fluctuating temperatures, this could this could open up the door uh, to water being introduced into those storage tanks. And and running a number two diesel is just not going to cut it. They need a they need a diesel fuel that works as hard as they do, especially, you know, if they do get a water into that piece of equipment. So the farmers probably are thinking they're doing what they can to keep water out, but how, how does it sometimes get in a, in the fuel in a piece of equipment? Well, it, it's not as, as uncommon as you might think. And, and so along the way from, from the farm to the bulk plant, there's potential for fuel to be loaded and offloaded several times. And, and without proper preventative measures, there's opportunities for that water to be introduced to your fuel. And so whether it's through uh, snow or rain or, or even condensation buildup and, and even poorly maintained storage tanks, it can be, those can be potential sources along the way that, that water gets in. And, and we get hundreds of fuel samples through our lab each year. And, and when there are issues, the majority of them are, are contaminated with water. So we really recommend you're, you're checking every delivery, um, every delivery, you're checking that tank for, for water potential in there. And you could get other contaminants as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think water, you know, is is the bad one, and, and there's a host of problems when they when that mixes with that fuel. Um, and one problem, or, or one of the main ones that we see potential for, is that corrosion. And, and so. Uh, we need to protect those injector pumps as they can r- rust over time when they encounter that water. And, and, and another major problem 
Uh, and, and the most noticeable right off the bat is is that mar microbial growth when the when the water has entered uh, or, or been introduced to that fuel tank, and those microbes can plug those filters uh, with a thick black slime and distort those filter pleats that's designed to to keep that water out, and and so that's what's going to allow those contaminants through. Uh, through those filters, and, and that could potentially foul injectors and lead to that downtime during a busy plant, planting season. So contaminants can cause a number of different problems. How can farmers keep water and other contaminants in out of their fuel systems this spring? Well, first, I think, you, you know, you want to make sure that that those farmers are practicing regular tank maintenance and, and checking your storage tank regularly for water, uh, you know, keeping that tank away from low-lying areas where uh, water and contaminants can accumulate. And then, and then also fill equipment uh, prior to shutting it down for the night. And this is going to minimize that headspace in the fuel tank and protect against that uh, condensation that I spoke about that I spoke about earlier. And, and then second, and, and, and probably most importantly is making sure you're running a Cinex premium diesel fuel, like Ruby Fieldmaster or Cinex Roadmaster XL. And, and our additive package is designed to address uh, those issues commonly associated with water and, and fights them right from the start. And, and it begins with our demulsifier. That's going to push that water right to the bottom of that tank so it can be drained out and, and won't make it through your fuel, fuel system. And then our, our corrosion inhibitor, it's going gonna, it's gonna to coat and protect that metal throughout the fuel tank and your fuel system as well. And then, and then lastly, our aggressive detergent package, and, and that's going to clean those fuel pumps and injector tips, and, and it promotes overall engine health. So you're, you're out in the field making money, and you're not in the shop spending it. Well, there can be all kinds of conditions, obviously, during a spring planting season, and time is always of the essence. Uh, what else can farmers have know need to know or where can they find out more information to uh, hopefully avoid these problems yeah sure uh you know first i guess i'd like to wish everybody a successful planting season but if you need more information i'd suggest i'd suggest reaching out to your local Cinex premium diesel dealer or visiting us at Cinex.com. Yeah, taking proper precautions now, following some of these suggestions that you've made can save a lot of time and problems later on that's chad christensen premium diesel expert for Cenex, the energy brand for CHS. And as we wrap things up for today, a note that coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a look at a situation developing out on the West Coast. There's a lot of congestion at West Coast ports. A lot of uh, shipments coming in, and that's kind of clogging things up there and really starting to back up our meat supply chain. And it's also impacting other sectors of U.S. agriculture. Those are key ports in, in moving product overseas. And there's a real backup going on there now. And that's an issue that uh, is really becoming problematic. And we're going to get an update on that tomorrow from the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Some of the reasons behind uh, the uh, congestion and what its impact is and then what can be done to address it, to alleviate the situation. So that's coming up tomorrow, plus uh, more on the markets as well. As we get ready for more reports this month, uh, we'll look at where the markets are at, what they're trading off of right now as we get closer to spring planning time. And, of course, we'll keep you up to date with the latest going on. We have confirmation hearings uh, and uh, 
you know, votes in, in Congress on some key positions. We're still waiting for U.S. Trade Representative and some other key spots, EPA. We'll keep you up to date on all of those as well. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay safe, everyone, and please join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.